Podcast. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Westcott demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or Whatever Movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host Iris and I'm here with my older brother who insists on tormenting me. Wesley with The Haunting of Madrigal House. (laughs) Also known as Encanto. Available on Disney+. Plus. The Tio Under the Stairs. That's pretty good. Bruno the Boring. Bruno the Boring? How about Encanto No No No? (laughs) That's pretty good, too. Did you note that Bruno looks an awful lot like a Colombian linguine? (laughs) And he hangs out with rats. Linguine from Ratatouille? That's hilarious. He also makes a Let It Go reference, which my daughters did not miss. What did they think? Were they scared at all? Mm, Paloma consistently skips some parts, yeah, that have to do with Bruno. Mm -hmm. (laughs) See, because they set Bruno up really well where he's this nefarious figure and he's got the pencil-thin mustache and the Mr. Burns fingers. Mr. Burns fingers? What does that mean? Like the steepled, like, excellent fingers. (laughs) Mr. Burns from Simpsons fame? Yeah, and when we don't talk about Bruno when he's first introduced and he's like seven feet tall and has rats down his spine and stuff. Right. Camillo does shapeshift into the correct Bruno, but then also scarier versions of Bruno. Right. Yeah, I didn't notice that about Ratatouille, but good call. Uh, Mirabelle is 15, and they have their their gift ceremony at what, seven or eight? Uh, I guess so, based on Antonio. So like half of her life, he's been back there. And I guess that's enough time to go crazy. But why did he leave for her? Like, how did that help her? I'm not exactly sure. I'm a little bit hazy on some of the finer details, the intricacies of Casa Madrigal. And I thought I was pushing you to watch this movie, not just to review it. I mean, look at this. Get the Lin-Manuel Miranda connection. How are you going to avoid it? What, with Moana or? Yeah. He said that he wanted this movie to live in the same universe, the same world as Moana, albeit in Colombia. But I don't see how that's a thing. He hasn't clarified whether or not that actually came to pass. Maybe it's the magical realism thing because nothing. Well, I guess there's like full on demigods and demons in Moana. But Encanto is more about the magical realism and then literal magic with the Encanto. Yeah, maybe it's the compartmentalized magical realism of the culture. And in Hawaii, there are gods and volcanoes and stuff. And in Colombia, there's magical realism in the house. And that's just a part of everyday life. Maybe he was talking about in terms of mannerisms because, boy, (laughs) Mirabelle was definitely channeling some Moana. Yeah. Like her all shucks, like pluckiness and stuff. Yeah, maybe that's a Disney thing, a current iteration of Disney thing. It's not too far from Moana. I think it's pretty safe to say those two movies were in different stages of development, but at the same time, given that it takes like five years to make one of these. Yeah, I understand that Lin-Manuel Miranda and his team were in Colombia doing research in 2018, Uh prepping for Encanto. And 
like steeping themselves in the culture and stuff. But Moana, I mean, at this point is pretty far back. Moana was 2016. I mean, that's when Paloma was born. Like as a stop on the Disney train. I guess that seems like a long time ago. But it's now like, oh, this is the Lin-Manuel Miranda movie. You know, he came to Moana fairly late. So for this one, mm. he wanted to be on the ground floor, like as soon as it's starting. But Moana, they were mm. like, hey, we got this movie. You want to write some songs for it? And he's like, sure. He obviously has a stamp all over You're Welcome. And I can hear some of his signature stuff in, I mean, a lot. obviously, all of these songs. <laughs> you think? I mean, there were a few things that I didn't necessarily understand right out of the gate about Encanto. One thing I did understand is the real miracle of Encanto is subtitles. <laughs> we definitely need subtitles for Lin-Manuel Miranda's more rappy songs. Oh, for sure. And then also there's full-on Spanish tracks. But I understand that he wrote all of these songs in both Spanish and English. Well, Dos Oruguitas is performed in Spanish in the movie and then in English in the credits. So when that movie is inevitably nominated for an Oscar, I wonder which version they will perform uh, during the broadcast. If there is a broadcast. However. Let's not get crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the verses of that song are in English and in Spanish, but even in the English version, he goes into the verses with Dos Oruguitas, because Kelly and I decided that caterpillar is not a uh, an aesthetically pleasing word, sounding word. Isn't that the song that's sung by the famous Colombian singer artist? Yeah, I guess he's like worldwide famous, as, you know, for, for Spanish singers. I mean, he's great. He and the voice actor singer for Felix. Felix. Felix, who is married to Tia Peppa, he's also really great. Yeah. He doesn't have a lot of opportunity to shine or, you know, he doesn't have a lot of room to sing because Tia Peppa is like, are you singing this or am I? Right. We're watching his facial, her facial expressions towards him consistently. He'll chime in and stuff and, and have his part in the song and she's kind of glaring at him and giving him the stink eye. <laughs> <laughs> My other favorite performance is uh is that of Tucan Tucan? Uh. <laughs> Voiced by the infamous Alan Tudyk. Right. Warsh from Serenity and Firefly. Um yeah, that's it. Uh Kelly was kind of disappointed because he's been in every ever since Wreck It Ralph, he's been in every single Disney movie, animated movie. Now right? that not that's not Pixar. They were like, we got to get Warsh in here, and and uh, what do we got? What's what's left? The Tucan, but still, the Tucan inspires. He's one of my favorite characters, and he inspires what I think is the best line of the movie. And that's during my favorite sequence in the movie when she finally goes to Bruno's tower, and inexplicably, like every other room in this place, uh, it's gigantic, and she falls down the sand hill, and uh, then she has the Indiana Jones sequence. But she looks up and she she's like, well, at least I'm not alone. And nope, you flew away immediately. <laughs> it's all about the delivery yep. of that line, but it's a pretty good one. Yeah, it's pretty good consistently. I think that the actress who plays Mirabel, whose name escapes me, and it is... Mirabel is played by Stephanie Beatrice from In the Heights fame. Maybe not just her delivery, but everyone. Really solid, and this movie turns pretty quickly, and the songs are going, and you got to slip in the stuff, and we're grateful for the subtitles. But I think a lot of good performances in terms of you know dialogue delivery in this movie. It's really sharp. Hmm. Interesting. Nope. I would qualify that and say the yeah, the performances and the dialogue delivery, pretty sharp. Story, kind of meandering. <laughs> I wouldn't say the story is the tightest of all Disney animation stories. Well, I think it was cute and it was pretty contained. It was in the one house, except for the obligatory parental, the, in this case, the abuelito's death sequence. 
where he's apparently hacked to death by machetes in rural <laughs> Colombia. But otherwise, in, in this house, that said, there were a couple things that I couldn't track. And I've seen this movie like you a number of times, but a little bit differently. Really? Wait, but what on earth prompts you to see Encanto more than once? Why don't you take a guess? Kelly Ray? Yes, man. Dancing around and family madrigal and like running all over the place and stuff. And, we don't, and we're going to bed and she's like getting ready for bed. We don't talk about Bruno, no, no, no. I mean, I have videos of Paloma doing the same. Maybe we should swap. Look, I really wanted to review this movie, not only because they've been some really good reviews that we've done, Frozen and Luca and stuff, but it also is because we come from such unique perspectives. I often don't see them more than once because, you know, I'm a, <clears throat> you know, an adult, but you have to watch them constantly. <laughs> oh, constantly. However, not exactly closely. It's always on in the background. And yes. And, and I think for Frozen was a movie that you were kind of annoyed at because you had seen it so many times, and yet I was forcing you to sit down and watch it critically. Correct. You're just hearing it in the background yes. the whole time. Yes, and that's the problem with Encanto. I had seen every part of Encanto multiple times, but never in order. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and so I'm piecing this story together, and then, I, oh, I have to sit down and watch it like again after hearing it all day. <laughs> but I have to tell you, Encanto has grown on me. The first time I watched it with the girls, admittedly, I popped up here and there to get a snack and clean the kitchen and make tomorrow's lunch and feed the cat and blah, blah, blah. And in that first viewing or first few viewings, I was like, it's it's okay. But now it's grown on me for sure. But also I have open questions. Why does him leaving help Mirabel? Why did he quote unquote do it for her? What is Mirabel's gift? Does she actually have a gift or does she just revitalize the casita at the end and that wasn't actually a gift? What is her mission? She sets out to save the miracle and then moments later says, how do I save a miracle? Like, what does she actually set out to do other than to just kind of poke around and, and stir things up? Tio Bruno says directly at the end when uh, what's-his-name hands her the doorknob, he says, you're the real gift. What real gift? I did figure out, however, what Mirabelle's superpower was. The ability to stop time and deliver entire musical numbers in bullet time. Right after Antonio gets his gift, she goes into that weird sequence. She like matrixizes the family photo and is like walking around. And each person, by way of, well, the original song, the family Madrigal song, and even we don't talk about Bruno, the songs really serve to set up everyone's gift and see how it's unique and relevant to their characters. And in a way, it's like it's kind of a ham handed way to inform those characters. Their personalities are so clearly evinced by their actions and thus by the employment, deployment of their gifts. Like, who is that character? Oh, she's the flower mm -hmm. one. Look at all the flowers she's making. <laughs> and so in that way, a little bit of a cheat. But here's what I came up with. Latinx, right? Mm -hmm. They're the Latinx men, each with individual superpowers, which when they come together in a very special house can make wonderful things happen. Wow. Latinx men. Pat yourself on the back, Wes. I already did. This is the <laughs> best kind of animation for me. A lot of things about my concepts of animation are changing, not having kids. And I was like, Pixar can do no wrong. And yeah. then Pixar did Cars. And I was like, oh. And then I did Cars too, And I was like, oh. Okay. But I look at a movie and I'd be like, yeah, I mean, it's not Pixar though. What is this? Planes, Fire and Rescue? 
And then Wreck-It Ralph kind of changed that. It was cutesy, but it still didn't feel heavy like a Pixar movie to me. But this is pretty close. It didn't even matter to me that Encanto wasn't Pixar, because frankly, it was a lot better than Coco. And if it comes down to a head-to-head race, which I do think it's going to do for the Academy Award this year, I don't think Luca stands a chance can't get away from the songs. I resisted it. I don't think I'm resisting it anymore. Not only are the songs catchy and really good exposition, at least for this movie, but also did you notice that they don't ever continue or further the story (laughs) with the possible exception of We Don't Talk About Bruno. Every one of them lapses into this hyper-realistic fantasy sequence. Which was kind of my problem with the songs. They didn't really propel the story forward. They were more like these stop-down character study moments, which I guess gives us an additional insight into the family, which is the driving force of the film. The songs had nothing to do with driving that convoluted plot forward. It was more about, hey, let's get to know and love the characters that make up this family. I understand what you're saying, but I think that was kind of a weird magic that it worked on me because typically totally stopping down for a non-story moving moment is what I kind of butt up against. Whereas when we go into fantasy sequences, it feels somehow okay because I get that this is a compartmentalized song. Uh, This seems more in keeping with things like The Emperor's New Groove where it becomes fantasy and grand and she has giant moving flower sculptures and stuff. And Yeah, Luisa's riding the donkey corn and like battling Cerberus. I, I'm kind of stuck on this idea that this is a Disney movie that stands up to the competition, not just because of popularity, because frankly, I saw Frozen maybe twice. I saw Moana maybe one and a half times, and they were kind of forgettable. But in Kanto, we watched it a couple of times. And then as I do sometimes on a Sunday night, I'll sit Kelly down and be like, hey, it's like eight o'clock, but we got to watch this movie because I have to review it. And she'll be like, ah. What movie? And then I just put on Encanto and she's happy. So I've already seen this movie two full times by the time I sat down to watch it a third time for the critical review. Wow. But didn't Encanto kind of like Luca come out of nowhere? Like I wasn't anticipating this. I didn't get any of the El Capitan movie premiere emails until after it was already out on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, I wonder if it's because of theatrical release, because this wasn't behind a paywall. I don't think it was expected to do what the what it's doing. It's kind of out of the blue, but I think it's in line with this sort of don't need to promote it. Don't need to spend hundreds of millions in uh, worldwide publicity when you drop it on Disney+, Plus, knowing that everyone is still stuck in the house. But I think it speaks to a larger issue. Do you know what the next Pixar movie is? No. Like, it's coming up. There's two of them this year. Turning Red is in, like, two months. And usually we know about that stuff years in advance, right? Yeah. And later this year, we have Lightyear. And it's like, maybe these aren't the tentpoles that I remember them to be. Because Pixar was so far ahead of the game, especially for CG animation. But... You know, Pixar people leave and other people come on and those talented Pixar artists go to other places. Some of it's still within Disney. And so they've all kind of equalized and stabilized to where it almost is as though you can't tell the difference anymore. That to me is both shocking and sad. Pixar has, I think, sort of lost some of its cachet and frankly, some of its fun because it doesn't have the music which Disney dropped for a good long while. And when it came back, boy, it came back with a vengeance. With Frozen. The first successful return to the songs, I think Tangled was pretty close. And then, of course, Frozen blew it out of the water again. 
What's your favorite Encanto song? The the We Don't Talk About Bruno song. I think everyone gets their say. It's complex. It's, uh, what's your word? Recursive. Recursive. <laughs> and that we'll return to earlier melodies after we've dismissed it, after we've moved on. And they're singing them in the background. And there, there's unique. Everyone has kind of their own melody, their own story within the song. And it's a different Not rhythm. Not a cloud in the sky. A, di- a different tempo within the song where it's just kind of everyone yeah. singing. And as Mozart said in Amadeus, it's not noise. It's music. And, and in music, you can do whatever you want. So that was really good because they got their character moments, because it was exposition for Bruno, because it was fun and fast and clever. It spans multiple characters. We go from outside to inside. Did you note in that song that Bruno is in the background? No, I didn't. They're doing their little dance, and she talks about being able to hear him in the walls. And and that's another thing. We're, they're delivering... Dolores. Dolores. They're also dropping information and hints and stuff in the background kind of very quietly. Because while everyone else is singing about not talking about Bruno, she's like, I can hear him. I can still hear him in the walls. <laughs> and then they show him in the background. He's lurking around, and he has that green prophecy-like glow. And then, like, the beat kicks in, and you can see him grooving on the, the balcony upstairs. <laughs> It's pretty fun. And of course, we, we didn't discover that. We, we saw it. We're like, look. But then other people had pointed it out for sure. All I'm seeing in my mind is like Bruno hanging amongst the chains like the xenomorph. Yeah. And you being like, he's, he's right, right there. there. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's one of the producers, uh, one of the writers, I think, that had also worked on The Exorcist and who had worked on The Haunting of Hill House. And one of the strengths of that show, which, of course, you didn't watch because you never watch shows. Why don't you watch series? How come you never watch series, especially when I wow. recommend them? Um, wow. The Haunting of Hill House has a lot. If you're looking around, there are things that will terrify you if only you tune your eyes in the right direction. And so I was looking all over the place for Bruno in the other songs. Once you know he's there, then I'm looking for him everywhere, <laughs> like him peeking out from behind the picture or whatever. Anyway, right. that's probably one of the few songs that's effective in driving the story forward because they are also setting up the engagement dinner. And Mirabel has her little musical interlude where she's like, don't screw it up. And Camilla's like, your boyfriend's here. Like all that's baked into the song as well. It's a decent balance, too. And it's not something that they could be like, "Okay, we need a song about Bruno. And he goes off and writes a song, right? It's so closely tied in with the story. I'm not saying that the Mm -hmm. whole movie is tied together that well. But for those varying reasons, we don't talk about Bruno's probably my favorite number in this movie kind of a cheat isn't it kind of a cheat to rhyme everything with no 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 aren't they all kind of a cheat it's helpful though that his name is bruno no no when in fact it wasn't (laughs) before it was oscar oh that was a change for rhyming simplicity (laughs) when he came back they were like oscar no 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 let's change it (laughs) uh i mean it sounds like you're getting pretty carried away with this film like or not in a bad way like you got carried away you bought the magic you went with it but When you step back and look at it critically, could you say perhaps that Lin-Manuel Miranda's early involvement with this kind of steered this film in, in a very musical direction and with less emphasis perhaps on the plot and story? I mean, when you're talking about basic story structure, who is the villain in Encanto? Abuela? For me, it was definitely Abuela. And I was convinced that Abuelo was haunting the house 
because of the way she mishandled him. And and I thought when she started blaming Mirabel for everything, you know, the we're losing the miracle because of you. Your grandpa died because of you or whatever she said. It was kind of like Fantasmic when the witch turns into the dragon and starts spitting fire. I thought like Abuela was going to go nuts and turn into like Cerberus or something. She's like, the power of my imagination. I thought for sure she was the villain of the piece and she was going to be revealed for the witch that she was. Right. And with that right at the top, they set the tone. You know, this is let's just be clear. Willa runs the show. But in the end, she's like, the magic is you. And it's not just part of you. It's all of you. You're the magic. And she's like all granny again. Right. That's her job. I don't think that it's just Lin-Manuel Miranda. I do think, to your point, the music driving the story more than the plot is what makes this so fun and relatable for kids and Kelly Ray. But he was also, did you see Vivo? No. So Vivo is the non-Disney animated film also this year featuring Lin-Manuel Miranda, where he does sing and he plays the part of a monkey who crosses the ocean to find someone in a non-Disney movie. And it was pretty weak, man. And there were lots of songs that he performed in it. And I was like, Vivo is almost completely forgettable as far as I'm concerned. Hmm. But I feel like it's also not a Disney magic thing. Oh, I did have concerns. I did have confusion. I wasn't sure why the sister hugging was a thing. And even she said, why is hugging my sister a thing? I didn't actually see them hug. I guess they kind of held hands and they like were laughing in the flowers at the end. But they didn't have like the magical swirly embrace where the magic swirls around them and the house transforms with them as the pulsing heart of the epicenter of the magic when they were hugging. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't totally clear. I didn't get a lot of the prophecy stuff and the butterfly. But then again, we're not Colombian. And this is all Gabriel Garcia Marquez and, you know, 100 Years of Solitude and stuff and magical right. realism. Which, have you read happens. that book? No. But the point is, you, maybe what? maybe culturally, this isn't in our wheelhouse automatically. Maybe we're learning things. Maybe the most I ever learned about Colombia was through Encanto. <laughs> Which, you know, I'm happy for Colombians and South Americans. I think it's a nice counterpoint to their primos in Mexico, in Coco. <laughs> the kids love it. Paloma pronounces it Encanto, like with a heavy Spanish accent. And when they sing, when we play it on Alexa, they're dancing in the kitchen. And Aurelia, at the end of the first song, says, What are you doing? <laughs> because Abuela's line is not part of the song, so she fills it in. It's really cute. That's pretty cute, man. I mean, it appeals to adults on, you know, multiple levels and kids maybe on a base level. But also, yeah, that was the most important movies of my childhood. The ones that had the cadence and the musical resonance, even though they weren't musical movies. I think this movie hits a sweet spot because it can use the magical realism. It's fortuitous that Columbia and magical realism is a thing because they can definitely make everything in this house move and dance and sing and it's fun, even though it's haunted and horrifying. But also the real stuff where I talked about it stacking up against Pixar and their supposed actual realism where the guy in Seoul is walking around in almost a photorealistic depiction of New York when the Encanto brings the house down, like, you know, not figuratively, literally, when the casita crashes to the ground, that sequence will stand next to any Pixar sequence because it was really well done uh, and realistic and, and terrifying. It is a great sequence, and it ends beautifully with the house using its last bit of magic to protect Mirabelle. Yep. 
and then it kind of falls over because it's now inanimate. That was very emotional. And then when the town comes in and they're like, we have no gifts, but we're many, I was like. <laughs> and it's that's very sweet. And it's also kind of scary and also kind of exorcisty and kind of legion. <laughs> kind of, we. it's not we are gifts. We, we have no gifts, but we are many. It's like we are legion. Look, the house has collapsed. Now is our moment. And they charge up the hill with torches. <laughs> It's true. It is. It's pretty sweet, but it can turn very easily, just like the Encanto <laughs> enchantment can turn very easily into a haunted house. Yeah, and it does. Which, by the way, would this make a good Halloween party theme? Uh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know that it would that people would get it, but sure, you could have the bathroom of terror be in the walls with Tio Bruno and the green eyes and stuff. Oh yes, yes, with rats and stuff. One day. Yes, good one. I'm looking at the one sheet, which I probably designed with our quote, and it's it's so magical with the butterflies, and I think there's the jaguar hanging out, and I think there's a capybara in the corner. There is. And donkeys with rainbows, and it is beautifully done. It's so colorful. It's so magical. There's kind of a lot of people to track. It's kind of dominated by songs and not so much by a very tightly constructed plot, but a lot that's wonderful and magical that makes the other stuff forgivable. I'll go with good. <laughs> well, good. I'm going with it totally. And that's not entirely devoid of influence from Kelly Ray, but being forced to sit down is not something I would say happened to me for this movie. I voluntarily watched it a third time because I knew that I had to examine it critically. I think the movie Encanto is a success, and I think it's going to find an even larger audience that it already has. Invariably, we will have a crappy sequel, and we will have rides at Disneyland and stuff. I understand that Mirabelle is still with her already with her green glasses walking around Disney's California Adventure, hmm. but whatever. Like a giant felt head Mirabelle, or no. like a Disney princess like woman there are actually Colombians in the world. You can get a, a nice-looking Colombian lady or a, or a Latina lady and have her wear glasses, and then she's Mirabelle with her dress. Right. And there are lots and lots of details. I watched all the stuff on the costumes or the CG outfits of the characters and how they all reflect that Bruno has little hourglasses on his poncho and stuff, and Mirabelle has her butterflies and junk, and it's all very keenly and finely crafted in a way that, that I think works. Sometimes all the attention and stuff goes to waste. And in this case, I don't think it did. Yes, we talk about in Encanto. <laughs> and like any movie, it may, like I want to go and have, what are they called? They're not empanadas. They're uh, they're not orguitas. They're, what are they? <laughs> orguitas, isn't that caterpillar? Right. They they're, are empanadas. No, they're not. They're they're cheese, cheese encantos or whatever. Arepas. Arepas, yes. We need to now make arepas while singing and dancing to these songs. I'm sure the girls would love it. Man, I may not be Bruno, but I see a lot of Encanto in my future. I'm kind of bracing myself for it. A little bit relieved that maybe it's taken up some of the Moana in their lives. In the sense that Bean hasn't been asking to wear her frozen dress and frozen braid, which constantly fall off and need to be adjusted. That's nice. Okay. Next Halloween, Mirabel. <laughs> I mean, but it, there is something to be said about how dominating and immersive this film is for them. Yeah, I think I think it's a good thing. I think that this one is wholesome and fun and that it's OK for them to like be all fanatics over. I'm calling it right now, man. Best animated feature 2021 Encanto. 
And there you got it. That's Wes's prediction and the end of our discussion on Disney's Encanto. Available on Disney+. Plus. You got a totally from Wes and a good from Iris. Let us know what you think about Encanto. 818-835-0473. And send us your videos of your kids doing their amazing and adorable Encanto dances. Or whatever movies at gmail.com. At or whatever movies on Instagram. Thanks for listening to our discussion on Encanto. And we'll see you next time. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An Electric Cast production. See you there. Electric Cast. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a beautifully different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA.